everyone. Welcome back to the Delicious Ella podcast with me, Ella Mills, and my husband and business partner, Matthew Mills. Hi, everyone. So today we're joined by an incredibly inspiring woman. So we're very excited about this. We have Chrissy Rucker here, who founded The White Company in her 20s and in the last 25 years has built up into one of the most beautiful, well-known and well-loved brands in the UK. And as we build Delicious Yellow, and I know lots of our audience are looking to do something similar, we're really fascinated by how other people like Chrissy have created so much magic and how much we can learn from their stories. So Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone who doesn't know your story, could you just tell us how and, and why you started The White Company? Well, it's it's hard to believe, but it was actually nearly 25 years ago. Um, and back then, I was working as a journalist and it all happened a bit by mistake because my boyfriend, Nick, uh, had bought his first flat. He had the most appalling taste. He sort of lived with um, burgundy duvet covers and highly patterned mugs, none of which matched, in an attempt to show him that really I was excellent wife material. Um, I went off and went shopping for him. What I found was that actually kitting out your first flat is an incredibly daunting task. And I had a total confidence crisis and I didn't really know how to tackle it. So I just thought, I'm just going to buy white. I'm going to get white sheets, white towels, white china, white napkins, etc. Anyway, what I found was it was incredibly hard to do and that there were very two clear ends of the scale. So you either had the big department stores, beautiful designer brands, very expensive uh, but lovely, or you had High Street, which was cheap, poor quality um, and not very well designed. And there was really sort of nothing in the middle. So that was the sort of light bulb moment. And then the real, the turning point was when I sort of did my first investigations going and looking for factories, is that I found a lot of the factories that supplied all of the big designer brands and realised that actually if I could supply them directly to the customer, I could bring them over to this country and sell them for a much lower price, Mm -hmm. same quality um, than the designer labels. So that's how it all started. Wow. That reminds me a bit when I went to Matt's house the first time we met and I said, should we just cook dinner? And he said, yeah, great. And I said, do you have everything you need? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when bought ingredients came back and I was like, do you have a chopping board? He was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was, it was kind of embarrassing. (laughs) Ella still is in charge of cooking in our house. I'm definitely not much of a cook. Um, so 25 years on, uh, the white company still seems incredibly focused. Uh, most of what you sell is still white. Um, and it feels as though the products have just gently evolved rather than seeing the constant chase of innovation and new lines every week that you see in a lot of other retailers. How have you managed that that focus? I mean, I, I think uh, brand is something that we put very much at the heart of the business. And, um, you know, when I set out to create the business, I really wanted it to be different and special. And I wanted it to be, if nothing else, that company that everybody remembered as a company that just sold white things. Because that differentiation piece, I've always felt, felt is incredibly important. Um, so... We do an enormous amount of work in the business on brand. There are definitely times when 
uh, I felt that the the company has has gone gone off track a bit and it's gone off brand a bit, and too much colour has started to sneak in. So we, you know, we work really hard to rein that back in. And now, actually, every three to four years, we do a full brand audit of the Brilliant. business um, to check, you know, what we're doing. Are we on track? Are we staying? Are we staying true to our original um, uh, brand identity parameters? And I think, you know, when you're growing a business being absolutely clear about what your brand isn't yeah. is as important as what your brand is. How did you go about making those first steps happen? So when you had the idea that you wanted to create a company selling beautiful sheets and towels uh, in white, uh, what were the steps you went through to uh, to actually make that, that dream a reality? I think, did your business start as a mail-order business initially mm-hmm. and then went into retail? Um, can you tell us a bit about that process? I mean, actually, I was just enormously inspired by Nick. And I remember... And Nick is your, your now husband. He's now yeah. my husband, yeah. I finally got him to marry yeah. me <laughs> after I filled his house with white sheets yeah. and towels. Um, but I was enormously inspired by him. So when, you know, we used to go on holiday together and we'd come back and he would get off get off the plane and go, and go back to the office and he'd be really excited and he couldn't wait to find out what had happened and he just had this phenomenal passion for what he was doing and he was selling shirts in a tiny little basement or just off Portobello Road but it was his absolute passion and I wanted to feel like that and so my starting point was I, I looked up the trade shows and I went to the Birmingham NEC for a home textiles trade fair and that's you know I literally sort of trawled around there for two days looking at lots of different suppliers and I just quietly started to find um, my first suppliers you know it didn't happen very quickly you know the first year was very slow um, and you know in my first week I probably did five orders in the first week but the other thing how were you doing those orders Uh, was it through um, was it just through a catalogue that people were ordering these or is it through how were people yes so so I think because I had because I had a magazine background um, and that was a world I loved and learned so much in um, that that was a fantastic experience to have. So I, I got on, I shot the first brochure, and which was, I kind of, it was the only way I was ever going to become an editor, I think, because <laughs> I was, really wasn't a very good journalist. We shot the first brochure, and then I basically sent it out to friends and friends of friends and anyone who would give me an address that I was sending it to. And then the other thing I did is I really focused on on doing a PR campaign. So I wrote to all of the journalists in all the papers and all the magazines and sent them a copy of the brochure. It was the we company just all you at this stage? Yeah. 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 No, it was just me. Sort of two phones, a fax machine <laughs> back then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of boxes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of boxes. Yeah. yeah. So has a lot of your business now uh, transitioned to online away from your stores or is the bulk of of what you do still through your your shop? So today we are exactly 50-50. Really? Wow. Yeah. So we have uh, 60 stores in the UK 
with that, will you plan on opening more shops or do you feel like basically all retail is just moving online now and you'll have more focus on that side of, of the, of the sales? Um, I think, um, I mean, retail for us is extremely important and, um, we are lucky enough to have had a fantastic year in retail this year. Um, I think, you know, when you look at um, all of the noise about what's going on on the high street, um, I, I mean, I don't believe for a minute it's the end of the high street. Um, I think it's just, this is just a, a time when quite a lot of change will take place. And I think, you know... And what do you see that change being? Firstly, I mean, the brands that sit on the high street... And the brands that are thriving and doing well are the brands that have a really clear brand proposition mm -hmm. and they have a reason to be there and a yeah. reason to go there. And, you know, they, they're doing a really good job with their products and they're passionate about their products. And, and you know, they continue to do well. Um, I think, you know, perhaps over the years, you know, they have become quite a lot of retailers who who end up selling the same thing so it becomes you know you know as a customer then you can sort of buy it from lots of different places yeah. and you can also go online and buy it from lots of different places yeah. online so that makes it quite hard i think so clear brand differentiation is really important um, a great brand experience, um, personal service. I mean, I think when people come into stores, um, you know, they want someone who is there to help them if they want to And is knowledgeable help. about it. Yeah. yeah, I think there's nothing more frustrating than going into a store and asking someone yeah. about a product and they have no idea. And um, I know from our reading that we we're doing before this episode, you have a huge emphasis on training for staff in stores so that they really, really know a yeah. lot about the product. And that's a reason to believe for, for people to go into a store rather than buying it online. And on that, for someone who is wanting to create something and is in the early stages of it, what, because obviously I think one of the things we're most inspired by with the white company um, for Delicious Yella is that sense of such strong brand identity. And we've just done a really long project actually on our branding and things like that to really solidify and make it very, very clear because it was clear to us that whilst it was very we knew exactly what we stood for. Did everyone know exactly what we stood for and just how important that is to cut through all the confusion out there? And so for someone who's kind of in the early stages or just kind of thinking about it, what would be your kind of number one pieces of advice of creating a brand that does have that reason for being that's so clear to the customer what they stand for and therefore why they are different to everyone else out there? I mean, I think that is just working through, you know, what your key brand values are and and that sort of absolute clarity of what you are and what you aren't. You need to sort of, you know, do your, your axis map yeah. and you plot, you know, the other brands that you feel are in the same sort of space as you. And then you need to see exactly where you sit within the other brands and then work out what makes you different and what makes you special. And, what and makes then you and create something that you can then stick with for yes. decades rather than something that's popular yeah. today. Yeah, and I and I think it's just you know trying to sort of you know create these clear brand parameters that you stick to, and 
Um, you know, obviously they will evolve a little bit over time. But, you know, our brand values today are still the same brand values. The key brand values are still the same key brand values that we started with. Really? Yeah, that was one of the big um, projects when we were doing, we've just, as Ella alluded to, we've just done this big project uh, to create a new visual identity for Delicious Ella that really unites everything from the books to the delis to the food products that we sell. And one of the things that we most wanted to clarify through that were actually what were the values that we want to guide us and guide any other team member who comes on over the next 50 years that we hope to get to run this thing um, that will keep us all honest. Um, And as hopefully we're able to grow and hire more people and maybe have less of a direct relationship with all the people who are who are in the business. um, What can we give them as just really simple guidelines so that they always know how we at what, what's important to us and, and how we believe Delicious Yella can best stay focused um, on all the values that we have and solidifying those was the hardest part of the process more so than I think the, the visual mm-hmm. piece that we did yeah. because it is something it's, it becomes your compass and it becomes something that you are wed to and tied to we hope for for a very very long time and getting those right and really getting everyone signed up to those feels like the most important thing we now do in delicious yellow we've just had two new team members join us and the first thing we wanted to do with them when when they joined was just to really really embed them within the values and that's i feel like now almost the most important process that we go through in in anything in any work that we do absolutely and then the other absolutely crucial piece is is the understanding of your customer yeah Yeah. so really really understanding what your customer wants from you as a brand and 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 which bits of that are right for the brand to do where it becomes confusing actually as you go along and you grow and we've definitely experienced this is that um you know, and when you're in, in, on your mission of keeping your ba- your brand intact, I always give the blue shirt example. <laughs> you know, we we sometimes do some of our shirts in a light blue colour as well as a white colour, and um, the uh, the blue shirt will often, sadly, sell more than the white <laughs> shirt. That's quite the conundrum. So then, then you have this challenge, and and this is. Um, I think this is a really common challenge for brands is that, you know, obviously your merchandising team are trying to do a brilliant job for you and they want to sell as much as possible and they want to, you know, make as much money for you as possible. And so they will be telling you, sell more blue shirts, sell more blue shirts. But that is not the right thing to do for the brand. But will they be then saying to you, we're selling a lot of light blue shirts. Can we sell lots of light pink shirts or light yellow shirts? Oh, yes, they'll try and do that as well. Or light green shirts instead. And then where, do, <laughs> where, where does it stop at that point? Yeah. But um, but part, part of being the brand guardian, and I yeah. think, you know, probably, I mean, that's very much yeah. probably what you and I do, uh, is that, um, you know, that's where you say no. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to stick with you know selling. Um, yeah, because you want to be the known ones for that are right for the brand, rather yes. than just becoming a seller of because that's how shirts. that's how a brand and a product range can get become eroded yeah. and lose its original identity quite quickly. But that again comes back to that's you looking at the long term, isn't it, rather than the short yeah. term? And I think that's in the way that we live today. 
in everything I think we're very much conditioned to look at today, tomorrow, next, you know, maybe next week, but we're not brilliant now at long term visions. And, you know, it seems like, you know, the trend of today is start a company and sell it within five years rather than start a company and slowly build something that feels right and sustainable and therefore making the decisions, not what's going to make us more money in the next 12 months, but what's going to make make sure that we're still here, we're Mm -hmm. still relevant 12 years later. And that's, I think, always a really tricky conundrum. And I can imagine as the kind of founder and that guardian of the brand, that's a challenging moment of saying, I know we'd make more money if we did this, but we can't do that. I mean, we've... um We've always tried to work. I mean, I think when the business was very small, we had a three-year plan and we always had tried to have a clear vision of what the business would look like in yeah. three years' time. And as, as we've sort of progressed along the way, we started to have a longer-term view. So we always try and have a broad 10-year vision of what we want the brand to look like. Mm. Then we have a sort of five-year plan that leads up to that. Yeah. And... With me, because the business was always going to remain privately owned. I mean, my motto growing the business has always been strong and safe. Yeah. Um, and retaining very strong um, brand yeah. identity. Yeah. Um, and your one thing that Ella and I were laughing about last night is we obviously work together and um, run it as a family business. And we, in the first two years that I started working with Ella in uh, mid-2015, in the first two years of working together, we had to cancel six holidays because work commitments came up that we just couldn't get out of. And we joked how it was so fortunate that we were doing it together because it was just one of us who had to cancel six holidays because of work commitments. The other person would have got pretty fed up with them pretty quickly. Your husband is incredibly successful in his own right as well and is the founder of uh, Charles Tirrett um, Menswear. How on earth have you been able to both balance growing such amazing companies at the same time and retained uh, your family? I think you have four, four children, is that right? How have you been able to, to manage that balance between family and growing such amazing businesses at the same time? I think sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't go well at all (laughs) probably is the answer um i think the wonderful thing about both having our own businesses is we understand the problems and the challenges and you know we we understand uh you know I, i i suppose we understand the the rhythm of of what you go through when you're building a business um in the early years it was fantastic to have um, someone who's he was sort of three years ahead of me building his business so he had always some wise advice to give what um, was his wisest bit of advice in in a funny way the one of the strongest bits of advice he, he'll always give me is just be focused and he he'll always say do five things really well rather than 20 things badly yeah Pick off your five things for this year and go after those mm-hmm. and do them 100%. Yeah. But actually, um, he was brilliant because he made me believe in myself and he just sort of said, you know, you can absolutely do this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just need to have that person saying, you you know, yes, this is a great idea, just <laughs> go for it. Yeah. I think I... Um, 
I rode competitively as a child when I was growing up. Rode horses, is yeah. that right? Yeah. And um, I think horses are a great leveller. Yeah. And um, you learn to to fail spectacularly. Yeah. I mean, I found you sort of fail much more than you succeed. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a great life experience to have because it takes away the fear of failure. And I think it's really important not to be afraid of failing. And, you know, if you have a bad day and things go wrong, I always just sort of think, well, try and understand what happened and what went wrong. If it involves a customer, apologise as fast and as honestly as possible and do everything you can to put it right. And then just, you know, tomorrow is another day. Get up, you know, don't look back, look forward. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, understand what went wrong and then try to do it better next time, you know. And it, and it, is, quite, it is as simple as that, actually. And I think you've just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And, of course, you're going to have bad days and stressful days and stressful times when things go wrong. Then when you have children, of course, that brings um, a whole new dimension. Um, we've got four, and um, they're all quite old now, so I'm obviously getting very old. Um, <clears throat> it was, you know, when they were little, it was really tough. Um, it was really tough because you have lots of phases where you feel like you're doing everything badly, feel like you're doing a bad job at work, you feel like you come home and you're not being a good enough mum um, because it just feels like there simply aren't enough hours in the day. But you gradually, you work, you gradually work out how to make it work. And, um, you know, now, I mean, you know, my diary is... Is run on a spreadsheet, yeah. <laughs> and I have six columns for each member of the family, and so my year is planned. The kids' things go in first, you know, kids' things go in first, then the business things go in, and then you know, around that, everything else has to happen. Amazing. I remember when, um, you know, probably about fifteen years ago, I remember I felt like I was doing everything really badly, and. Um, so I'd say, but it's know, interesting to hear that because you obviously weren't. You know, yeah. that's what I think is powerful to listen to. Definitely for me is that you know you felt you were doing it badly, and yet look what you created during that time. Yeah, and I think I, re I remember having this moment where I just said, "That's it. I'm going to sell the business. I can't cope." Yeah. <laughs> and um, and one of the children said to me, "No, mummy, <laughs> you." can't and I think they actually might have said we don't want you to stay at home all day. but one of them said no mummy we're really proud of what you do oh, and, so and I think that was the and actually now one of my daughters is is working in the business at the moment and um so I'm very happy that I didn't and I carried on and would you like them to come work in the business Long term? I, well, I mean, it would be lovely if one of them wanted to. Yeah. But um, I, I'm a great believer in they should just, you know, they need to find their own yeah. passion and follow their own dreams. So one question I had, and you said, you know, you felt like you were doing everything wrong and, you know, the end of the kind of difficult days, Nick would be there with your stiff G&T. And first of all, that sense of support, which I know for us has been invaluable. Like there's no way on earth that we would still be here today able to run the business without the support we've had from our families i mean they've really got us through the most difficult times that we've had with our business but i think and each other as well i mean yeah, 100%. having having each other when 
it's going wrong or something's really, really bad. We handle pretty different things within uh, the business, but we have obviously a deep understanding of what the other does. And just having that complete and utter understanding for the other person to know how difficult it is and the understanding and counsel that they can give you because they have such a deep knowledge of it has been completely invaluable Mm. to both of us. But on that, have you had any moments of kind of particular challenge, moments where you think, you know, I don't know if we're still going to be open tomorrow. And how do you, how have you kind of managed to navigate through those? Because I think what from the outside we always see is how successful something is. And you don't, of course, get those kind of inside looks at the fact that actually the road to that success is very, very bumpy. I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, we've encountered, you know, so many you know, lots of little problems constantly along the way. And I think that's just where that resilience piece comes in. And you just sort of have to sort of, you just take every day as it comes and you just kind of work out, you know, well, you know, what is actually going on here? And how am I going to fix that? And then, you know, you get on and you fix it. And you move forward. And it's also terribly, terribly important to celebrate the highlights and the good moments because it's funny isn't it I think when we're business owners we tend to remember more the things that went wrong have felt tough yeah when actually there have been so many moments to really celebrate as well so it's really important with your team to celebrate those moments as much as possible yeah I like that I think that's so true and actually something that we probably don't do enough because the problems always seem like priorities because they have to get dealt with and fixed and sorted now in order for things to be viable tomorrow whereas the you always kind of put off the celebrations because they don't they don't have to happen today but actually they do because you need that morale that sense of achievement and that excitement to kind of carry you on to the next phase so what would be and i know there's always a difficult question but what would be your kind of number one pieces of advice to anyone getting started on their own entrepreneurial journey or or starting to think about it number one is 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 the brand piece you know really know your you know be absolutely crystal clear about what your brand is and be really clear about what it isn't and you know really put your brand at the heart of everything you do. Mm-hmm. I think when you when you're first starting out, I think you've just you know you just sort of got to go for it yeah. and yeah. just do it. Yeah. Don't be afraid of things that it's go wrong. It's just taking that leap, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, just... and we constantly, even today, twenty five years later, we constantly looking at what works and what doesn't yeah. work, and we just keep building on it quietly. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. When things go wrong understand them and you know try and try and do it better next time and move forward and don't dwell on it yeah but also i think accepting that things will go wrong they go wrong for everyone and that that's really just not the end of the world so if that's your greatest fear about starting is that it might it's not going to go right then you know it's not going to go right know that it doesn't go right for anyone but as you said just acknowledge why it didn't go right and then remedy it put the next foot in front and and get on with the next step and I think that sense of fear of the unknown of all the possible issues that may arise is something that really really makes you nervous like I know we were talking about expanding internationally as Matt said and I said to Matt I said what happens if it doesn't work and he said well there's really only one way to know if it's going to work and that's 
to do it. It's like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> I think the other thing is, is don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, I mean, throughout my whole journey, you know, I've, I've, I've sometimes, um, you know, I've, I've often approached people who I really admire and just say, you know, would, would you have a coffee or... And it's amazing how generous people can be and how, how they'll, you know, just talking to people and uh, asking questions can be really helpful yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Chrissy, one thing um, we do with every guest that we have on is ask them about a mantra, a practice, a saying that they live by or do every day. Well, I, I've got this funny little poster on my wall in the office which says... Um, I like things to happen. And if they don't happen, I like to make them happen. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Um, I'm not sure I'm always 100% successful at that, but that's always quite a fun thing. I think it's just really important every day to, um, you know, to to just just get up every day and enjoy the day and make the most of the day and celebrate the successes that come during the day and... We talk a lot in the business about simple pleasures mm-hmm. and and we talk about things should be used and loved every day and not saved for best. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that thing of if you if you have lovely things, you know, use them every day, enjoy them every day. And and that simple pleasures um, are there to be cherished every day. So that could just be, you know, a great cup of coffee in a yeah. lovely mug, you know, sitting down with a girlfriend and having yeah. a chat. Yeah. Or it could be just a catch-up with one of your children at the end of the day yeah. as you're cooking supper. Or it could be having a bath at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Um, just really enjoying and actually genuinely yeah. taking a minute to appreciate yeah. those really nice moments because every day has those nice moments every and day it's easy to let them go by. You yeah. open the front door and you take the dog out for a walk in yeah. the morning and it's cold but the sun's shining and yeah. it's crisp and beautiful yeah. I and mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I urge people to, you know, unplug and, you know, just enjoy the day as much yeah. as they can. Yeah. Nice. yeah, I love that. So I know one of the things that you've um, always been really passionate about is women in business and women supporting women. And you've done a lot of work with the Princess Trust as well on that. And I'd love to just understand a little bit more about that, kind of how you came to it and what it is that about it that f- kind of spurs you on so much that's got you so passionate. Um, so, yeah, no, so it's really exciting. So we're just starting a very exciting new project for the Princess Trust. Um, it's going to be called Women Supporting Women. And um, when people sort of say to me, you know, why are you so passionate about this? I I think, you know, when I think back of my on my life um, through being a small child, uh, going to school, um, going to college, you know, starting my first job and eventually starting my business... I just feel incredibly lucky to have had the love and support of so many incredible people throughout my life, from my from my parents and family to people that I know well, uh, to people that I don't know very well. Um, and 
they've all been there and given me moments of support and encouragement. And I suppose, you know, the point is, is that they, they help you grow and they help Absolutely. you to believe in yourself. And this project that we're doing for the Prince's Trust, um, we are specifically um, helping um, disadvantaged young women. And they're women who have had um, incredibly tough starts in life. And I was truly horrified uh, to discover that actually 270,000 women are unemployed currently. And the the also the really shocking fact um that hit home very hard with me is that currently we have 92,000 uh young women who are sort of dropping out of school or dropping out of education every year yeah. and that is up from 70,000 last year oh my god so gosh. it is Huge dramatically job. increasing the self harm rates are increasing dramatically the NHS are seeing many more additions of young girls suffering from self-harm. Um, mental health issues obviously becoming, you know, that that's a very growing Absolutely. Uh, topic. Um, so um, basically what, what we are doing well, with Women Sporting Women is that we... Um, we are setting out on a mission to try and raise £10 million and we are hoping to sponsor as many young women as we can through the Prince's Trust. They have some truly amazing, life-changing programmes. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fascinating hearing your story. I know you're an enormous inspiration and the White Company as a brand is an enormous inspiration to, to Ella and I. So thank you so, so much for coming in and sharing all of your incredible wisdom and knowledge with us. And if you have any feedback on this episode, we would love to hear it. So please do review it. Please do rate it and share any of that feedback with us. And otherwise, I hope you can tune in for our next episode and definitely subscribe. Um, there'll be a new episode coming out for you every Tuesday. Thanks so much, everyone.